maximum firepower. Brace for impact. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is some native file. Okay, anyways. Um, welcome to the Brace for Impact podcast, sponsored by Flaming Hot Cheetos. Get the puffs. There's more surface area for the flaming hotness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Luke. Today we're going to review our last battle report, talk about the unconventional warfare event rules, and at the end we will review a Rebel Radis list. One of my favorites. So, very, very cool stuff for today. Uh, we do also have Chandler, as always. How are you doing, Chandler? I am doing great. So yeah, so one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about the unconventional warfare event rules is they're coming out with that... Uh, event pack, the Summa All Things, mm-hmm. and we don't really know what the fuck is going on with it. They have shown us the box that it's in, a couple tokens, an awesome and a box, picture the of the, it is an awesome box, and a picture of the tentacle monster. Mm-hmm, uh, so, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we're talking about unconventional warfare is I think it gives us a good idea of the kinds of things that AMG explores in Armada, the kind of rules, changes, and, you know, approaches to events that they take. And they've, they've done, like, a couple. They've done Unconventional Warfare, Hunting Season, mm-hmm. and another one, Call of Destiny. And so, you know, throughout the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about those, reviewing them, and obviously, they weren't entirely well-received, because nobody plays them. Yeah, um, I definitely am not familiar with them at all. I feel like I remember hearing about them, but then that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly have never played it. I don't think you and I have ever spoke about it before or even thought about playing it. Yeah. Um, so I, definitely I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, But just because they are not popular or weren't well-received when they were, you know, when the events were out doesn't mean that there's nothing good about them at all. And so we're going to be talking about those those kinds of things. Excellent. And I'll be playing the part of uh, someone who knows nothing about them because I know very little about them. Yeah. So uh, if you don't know anything about them, you are in good company. Uh, before we get started, though, we're going to do our standard battle report review. Um, Chandler, go ahead and take us away. Yeah, so... Uh, our last battle report was the hunter-killer fleet, which was a four victory ones versus deep water fleet, which was you know a standard trying to smash you at long range patriot fist fleet uh, with Kraken as the commander. Mm-hmm. And this was a really fucking interesting match because when I, I built my fleet to be you know. A pretty standard competitive fleet where you know you kill ships really fucking easily. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had two Gazantes with HIEs, I had Kraken to guarantee crits, and a couple hard cells, and I was against this this four victory fleet, and I was like, man, I don't know how you're gonna be able to compete at all. Yeah, on paper your list looked really, really good. Yeah. Hmm. You know, as far as the victories were concerned, um, I was going for something basic, but, you know, pretty obvious here. I really wanted to maximize that 7th Fleet card. Um, 
That was the only upgrade aside from like link turbo lasers that that was on those ships. And gunnery teams. Um, oh, you know, I did forget about gunnery teams. That is a heavy hitter. And I think that's one of the the aspects of uh, the hunter killer fleet that really puts you ahead of the game, because you know, four victories. It's really you've got four front shots. Mm-hmm. Not super impressive, but when they all have gunnery teams, it's four victories with eight shots. And then you combine that with link turbo lasers, and it was just yeah. nasty. Yeah, it was really nasty. Uh, and then Screed, you know, when we started getting in close range, really pulled through on those black dice. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was pretty crazy once we started getting close. Um, so I know we, uh, you picked for my objectives because you mm-hmm. wanted to go first. Yes, I had definitely. advanced gunnery, planetary ion cannon, fested fields. I ended up choosing ion cannons. Yeah, ion cannons. And that one is probably something I would rotate out if I were to play the list again. But, you know, advanced gunnery is is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Even though my list has Patriot Fist, which states you can only attack once per round if you use it, uh, I would still put the advanced gunnery on the Patriot Fist because, you know, having a whole extra attack is way better than just adding two blue dice to your attack, you know? 100%. And Infested Fields is just... One of my favorites. Oh, it's so one of I my think, least favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I, I'll, I'll put it in in every list. It's so good. Uh, so I really think Planetary Ion Cannon is is the weak link for this one. But but my whole idea was, you know, I'll, I'll get an extra attack. I'll burn down a token and then really hammer it hard with Patriot Fist. And it just really didn't do it. It didn't do it for me. It was... Super well, it's not only that, but you kind of help control deployment a little bit more. Um, you know, laying them out there as they do. In, in general, yeah. controlling the board, which I think, you know, from my perspective going through that, that was kind of my biggest thing is, you know, the obstacles were in a very crappy place from my perspective. And then on top of that, I had these three tokens uh, to kind of manage with my movements. And, you know, again, I kind of t- uh, spoke about this uh, while we were playing. For me, my movements, my deployment, it was absolutely critical. You know, I had to maintain that one to four distance. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely think that it-, it played a role. Yeah, and that's the thing about Seventh Fleet is I always thought it was distance one to three. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's such a short distance for such an expensive card is five points for one. Well, really, it's ten points because one of the seven fleet stars for a title actually does nothing. Correct. You need more than one, and you had four, which is like twenty points just of titles. Yes. So that was fucking crazy, and I think like, man, now that I'm now I'm looking back on it, when we were playing, you were using that title all the fucking time. You had nothing to shoot for, I think, the first half of the game other than my front hole zone. So, yeah, it was coming in constantly. Now I'm like, what if you, I mean, you're really starting to lay in the points, but what if you put expert shield techs on them? Like, I don't know if you can fit all that, mm. but expert shield techs is the while defending during your spend defense token step. When you spend a redirect, you can reduce the total damage from the attack by one instead of resolving that token's effect. That you do have the two redirects in the victory, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. So I think that that plays really well. Um, yeah, that's what I'm the, saying. 
the issue is is point cost, right? Because a lot of the reason, and you you just said this of why that list was effective was having the gunnery teams, and then the linked kind of worked really well with it. Um, That's true. And I was struggling for for points when I was building this list. I had no squadrons, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so it was all being dumped into that ship. So every decision that I made, um, you know, had a pro and con in that sense. So it it would be a juggle, right? You like what would you be giving up to include that as well? So for that. I'm just doing a quick little rundown here. I would, because you really, what I would take out is the LTTs mm. to kind of fuel it. Maybe Jergerod? Oh, but God. then you, you only have like a one or two linked turbo laser towers. So you're really sacrificing rerolls for that damage reduction ability. And I don't think that... You need to double up on the damage reduction that much. Um, I think the rules are so much more important, especially when you're banking on the red dice the way that you are. Yeah, I agree. Um, but we we went through we went through my objectives. But what did you bring for this fleet? Because I don't think I don't think I actually saw what objectives you had. Let me. I do have to pull it up. It's been a little bit, so. Give me a moment. I think that I would actually have that in our Discord list. Okay, so yeah, you had opening salvo, contested mm-hmm. outpost, and solar corona. Fuck. Yes. Uh, so for me, solar corona, uh, it's a must-have. Um, I think that I, I'm not going to say I struggle in deployment, but I put a lot of stock in deployment. Um, also, you know, being able to remove an accuracy is just super dope for me. Uh, so it... it I think that Solar Corona is almost as much of a must-have as Advanced Gunnery is in a lot of my list building. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just one of those amazing objective cards that Absolutely. is so terrible to pick when you're first player. Mm-hmm. Contested Outpost, pretty obvious and pretty devastating when you've got four Command 3 ships. Yes. So and yeah, that was opening be my Salvo is pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Exactly. You know, advance, uh, the advanced gunnery one was not going to do anything for me because everyone did have the gunnery team card. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yikes. Really, the only other thing I would, I might consider is, like, most wanted. Uh, I think I think it, opening salvo is, like, way better. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because, you know, I could have used that boost while we were at the longer ranges because once we got into, like, the close, close range, black dice was, you know, being tossed everywhere. Yeah, and, and one of the things that that really started fucking me up is when once we started, you know, like round one, round two, mm-hmm. and I started seeing just the, the tide wall of victory one ships that like, because you'll do this pretty often is, is you'll lay things out in deployment and then you'll just turn everything towards like the the sides of the board. Mm-hmm. You want all your front arcs like just to swing around and have this whole like column of fucking death. Yes. <laughs> and you, so once I saw that, <laughs> once I saw that, I was like, "All right, now I need to pull my recusant like way far into your deployment zone so that it's not getting shot like fucking four times in a row." Because the recusants are are so fucking weak. They're like one of the weakest large ships in the game, I think. You know, I kind of, I definitely agree, because as we were playing, you know, I was like, oh man, it's a large ship, it's going to take, you know, two or three turns of constant battering to, to knock it out, um, but once I actually started laying into it, I was like, oh, 
this is going to die pretty quickly. It's it's more like a medium ship on a large mm-hmm. base because it it doesn't even have that that thick of a front shield. It's got you know three on the front and then three on both sides, and I think it's like two on the rear. It's like it's a medium ship, honestly. Yeah, that matches up with the Vic, which is a medium ship. And one of the things I dislike about it is it's got the fucking uh, evade defense token, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, evades are pretty good. But on a I large so. ship, you don't get to use its extra ability of discarding it to affect an additional die. So it's only a standard reroll, and you, you don't get that cool uh, bonus effect. Yeah, unless you're going against like an SSD, that'd be the only way. Yeah, I guess that's true. But that's such, you know, who, who, who's even flying that anymore? I don't know. SSD's going to be cool. Mm. It, it was definitely cooler before 1.5. Oh, yeah. It was it was definitely <laughs> a kingpin. But... Man, no. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, I think Evade is a great token. I don't use it enough. I wish I did. Uh, just yeah. I usually stick with the larger ships. But it's not even like you can, you know, give it the grace of saying, oh, they made this before we had that rule change. No. Like, this was definitely after the fact. So they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and, and like, and one of my problems is I keep flying the Recusant like it's an ISD. It's totally not. It's totally not. Like, I keep pointing, like, right at the target I'm killing. And I should be, like, way off to the side strafing it. And I just can't get it right when I fly it. Especially the Patriot Fist. Yeah, I think, like, its biggest boon is that it has the Salvo. Um, You know, being a newer ship, naturally it's going to have that. But, like, other than that, I just don't think it's a very uh, competitive ship, if you would. Maybe that's true, but... uh... I'm going to keep flying it. I've, I've had a lot of success, especially with the Patriot Fist one. But, like, I feel like your particular fleet <clears throat> just had so much hull that it, mm-hmm. was, it wasn't going to do it. It was, like, 36 hull, I think, on the board for you. Yeah, it was, it was up there. Yeah, it, it was just incredible. And, and the Patriot Fist is really good at taking down, like, you know, big targets, even little targets, but... A bunch of medium targets. I just didn't have enough turns. <laughs> That's super fair. Well, I mean, still, like, it wasn't a bad list that you had. I just think that it was matched against something that, um, it is in its own category, if you would. Yeah, it was definitely weird to to fly against, and, and you were, you were reducing damage everywhere. I think my fucking when my vultures were able to finally do a damage you were just like oh no i'm just gonna reduce that to zero and that was so triggering oh you actually brought something up that was interesting because uh listening to the podcast and i remember this you you had a line where you're like okay with all these vultures i have a like three in ten chance of actually getting a hit through right that was yeah. like, something that you had said yeah, yeah yeah that means i'm gonna negate all of that damage because i have four copies of seventh fleet so yeah, statistically, the, you, there was no way you were going to do any squadron damage as long as yeah, you were attacking yeah. the front hull zone. Yeah, and I think the line is, out of 10 vulture attacks, the average damage output is 3. Oh, you know, I remember that pretty well, so not yeah. bad. Yeah, because a, a vulture has a 3 eighth chance of doing damage, because mm-hmm. the red, red die had hit, hit, double hit, and then, you know, the rest of the die is useless for squadrons. Mm-hmm. Um... So yeah, pretty piss poor. Especially like without bomber, but man, 
even with Bomber, because I was playing yesterday and I had DBS 404 and I had a, a Hyena Bomber, and I rolled DBS 404 with his ability, so that's three red dice, mm -hmm. all blanks, got Bomber Command reroll into another blank. And it's like, that shit happens a lot. Yeah. It's so inconsistent. And it's it's really preventing me from making lists where I rely on bomber damage. I, I just don't think that's a strong suit of that particular type. It, I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's just not droid's strong suit. Like, if I had any squadrons in my list, I think that that would have been different. Yeah. I, I just... I want to rely on like hyenas and their damage, but really the best bomber for separatists right now until we get something else are the hyenas, and then in some cases Grievous. That's yep. Grievous is probably the best one, but like he's so good at at chumming up generic squadrons that I never move him to attack a ship. I I just don't think that. The squadron game is the meta for the separatists there. I really think that relying on like the hard cells to do a lot of the heavy hitting on the ships, um, and then just using those squadrons to keep other squadrons off of you to allow you the room to do what you need to do. I, in my perspective, again, I haven't played them mm -hmm. personally, but going against them, I, I think that that's how they should be played. Yeah, and that's for sure one way to play them, because... Honestly, it's so easy to dominate the board with Separatist Squadrons. But after that, you can't really do reliable ship damage. Nope. Which sucks. It's very defensive. And then the things that you can rely on, like the Tri-Fighters with their black anti-ship, it's like A damage that you can get. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just not... It's not enough. It's not enough to invest a full 134 points into. Mm-hmm. And just not get enough. Yeah, you and I are definitely in agreement on that. I've got to make some lists that have like more than just two hyenas. Mm -hmm. I think I'll, I'll try one that has like four or six hyenas and a couple vultures. And maybe I'll get like some gazantes with flight controllers. So the few vultures I have can just really hammer something and, and make way. But yeah, it's a separatist squadrons are in a weird spot for me. Well, really, Separatist Squadrons are dominant, in my opinion. But once you dominate, your bombers are kind of fucking ass. I mean, it's all about the balance. I'm sure that that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, you can really fucking sweep the board of squadrons, and then after it, you kind of make sure you have... Something to hit with. Some, something to hit with, fuck. But yeah. Um... You know, just to, because you had me thinking about, like, you know, further damage mitigation for the fleet that I, I had in particular. Mm -hmm. um, it, Tarkin. Tarkin? I think. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Tarkin. Um, not Tarkin. Jesus, what's the blue guy? Help the me out here. The blue guy, Thrawn? Thrawn, that's the one. I am already a full glass of wine in right now. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Thrawn, I think, would have been fantastic to also pull the... Um, concentrate fire to a activate my gunnery teams but then also have that engineering in my back pocket oh uh, yeah to... like like load them up with engineering commands and yeah like he's super yeah. expensive but i feel like if i could have fit that in there that would have been uh 
devastating as yeah, far as that. That's the thing is he's super expensive. Let's let's mm-hmm. see if we can if we can make that real quick because I'm interested in. I don't think I can. I would have had to give up Link Turbo Lasers somewhere. Yeah, but maybe that's fine if you just bank it. Actually, that's four hundred points on the nose. Is it really on the nose? Thrawn and each Vic One has gunnery team LTT and Seventh Fleet Star Destroyer. Ooh. That's interesting. Yeah, but there goes that bid. So the bid was uh, something that was it was very important to me actually. Yeah. Uh, with black dice, I definitely wanted to be first player. But that's the thing because now Thrawn really opens up your list for flexibility. Mm-hmm. And while you're losing out on Screed, I don't think it helped you that much. I thought Screed was cool. I picked him because he was kind of on the cheaper end. Yeah. Um, I don't think he was the most effective commander for that list. But now you can, you can do navigate dials and take the command mm-hmm. and position your victories a little bit better, maneuver them a little more, and then you've got you know Thrawn's three engineering dials in the back pocket. It's it's interesting. It's interesting for sure. And Thrawn is an amazing force multiplier. So the fact that you have four medium ships that he can affect and make more flexible. Like, maybe you don't have all three of the dials be engineering. Maybe you have another mm-hmm. one be nav or something that you need. That could have come in handy. Yeah. Because, you know, a part of that list is the positioning is uh, of the utmost importance. Which is ironic because you've got fucking victories, which are <laughs> the worst at positioning. Uh, that's why the deployment was so important, right? Like, there was no way I was going to turn these guys around. So making sure that they were starting out in the best spot and then pointed in the right direction. Yeah. Fair, fair. Yeah, that was a, I, I do have to say, though, that was one of my favorite matches in a very, very long time. Yeah, it was really interesting. So um, let's get to, like, the middle of the match. Like, once, mm-hmm. once your flagship goes down... And you started hammering at my recusant. Were you just like, oh, this is fucking over? Um, yeah, like, so the moment I actually started doing the damage on the recusant, uh, I, I, the game felt like it turned in my favor. Up until that point, I was really on the edge. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, I, I think another turning point was when I dropped to speed zero. I'm not really sure where that falls into... Uh, when my flagship got taken out. I think that was definitely before. So, so you me, did that cheeky bullshit like at <laughs> the end of turn like two. Okay. And it would it let you essentially avoid uh, my initial engagement, which I, I pre-measure all this shit. So I know like at the end of round one, mm-hmm. I know that at the start of round three, I'm going to be able to tap you. And so when you do that, when you go down to, to speed zero, you're like, oh, now we, I have a whole nother round where you don't get to touch my flagship, yeah. which is so triggering. <laughs> and, and that really fucks it up because now my recusant has to get closer. And I think that's where it really started taking all the damage. So for me, those were the two turning points where I felt like things were started to go into my, in my favor, whereas before I was definitely concerned. And it's the same for me. Like once, once you did that, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Now, now my recusant's going to be close to your second victory, which is like just paralleling your your flagship. Mm-hmm. I, it really, it really fucked it up. And then I was like, you know, once once I start taking damage, 
like after the second shot, it doesn't. My Rekusen didn't have any more shields; they were mm. all gone. And then it's just there's no contain. You just start taking crits. Yeah, and I was dishing out a lot of those. Yeah, so that that was fucking bleak. And I was hoping that I could like, you know, just fly past you. And I got close, but man, if I if I only had like more health. Yeah, I had like fucking three or four crits at the end. Bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, I mean, would you say that those were the same turning points? Like, would you say there was anything else in particular that stood out as like a negative or a positive? Mm, really, when my recusant died, it didn't get away, and then I I just had like my two hard cells and my like leftover Gazanti in front of three victories, and I was like, oh no. And they were practically untouched, nonetheless. The the last two, I don't think I even touched. Yeah. But I was able to, to get away with killing the third one, but then I was like, oh, that this is fucked. Like, I'm in the front arc of two victory ones at close range with gunnery teams. Gunnery teams. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this. Yeah. And I was trapped, like, there was nowhere to go, and I, I tried speeding up, but that didn't do anything. The damage was done at that point, and, and we just went through the motions of my abysmal failure. Uh, something else that happened, and, you know, this is backtracking a little bit, is, is you bumping those Gazantes. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was more of, like, a strategic decision of bumping them so that I don't obstruct the Gazantes side shot. So I can get some more damage on there. So for me, and this was, again, just my perspective, is, you know, with those Gazantes, they were heavy-hitting Gazantes. They weren't there just for fluff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like they, they, were, they were useful. And so I feel like giving them that extra damage just made it all the more easy for me to take them out. And I don't know. I, I, I personally would have taken the obstructive shot. Maybe. But again, like... They they did their thing. They got like HIEs off like one or two times on on like the flagship and so mm. I think that's points well spent. And yeah, I think it it was either my other Gazanti or my flagship that I was avoiding obstructing cuz my Gazantis were going fast as fuck. They were. This is something I've been trying to do with separatists is like round round 5 and 6 is like where all my ships start dying. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And not just like one or two, but like my whole fleet starts evaporating on round five. So, and I think it's a lot because uh, I go speed two or speed one. And when round five and six come around, like I don't have the speed to get there. So what I've been trying to do is, you know, be at speed two, round one and two, and then start accelerating. I think that's a good strategy. And then just try and get my ships the fuck out of there. You know, I, I think also with just having those four Vicks, there was such a wide space that you just couldn't go into, right? So trying to maneuver at those speeds, I felt like was an extra challenge for you. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm just looking at when you started to set up the tide wall. You have like almost 70% of the board in just this deadly fuck you mm-hmm. zone. Or if there's any ship there, it's just going to get hammered by four victories. That just just the area denial is insane. I definitely agree. So, 
thinking about like the final parts of the game, like w- is there anything that you would do differently? I mean, it's kind of strange to ask you that because like you fucking tabled me, but no, like really, like other th- my my only changes would have been in fleet composition, and that would have been at this point uh, taking Thrawn. Um, as, as far as anything that I would have done differently, it, everything else really fell in line for me during that game. Yeah, because Thrawn is good as well because, like, once, like, like if if Thrawn dies and you did your Thrawn dial at the start of the round, like, I think you still get those. You do. You yeah. Because you took Screed out and, like, I wasn't able to capitalize when I was uh, kind of in close range. There was a couple opportunities whatever, where I would have really liked to have used him to uh, boost that, that, uh, that damage. But, yeah, not, not enough for me to say I would have changed yeah, that. and I I think that is one of the things I would have changed if I were to fly your fleet, because you did just like a straight, you know, single file troop line. Yes. With your victory ones, I would have done three in the front and the flagship in the back. Ooh, I don't think you're wrong about that. That would have been a really easy way for me to keep everyone within one to four as well. Keep so. everyone in one to four, and then because once I saw your flagship out on the edge i was like i'm just going to target that with everything i'll kill that and then i'll get the second one and and try and disengage at that point because there's so much damage but but like if it if you just pick up the flagship and you put it behind the middle victory it's like how do you even how do you even target that how do you shoot that no that makes sense and it would have been like a really good like rear guard so to speak yeah so I that, I think that's what I would change just as far as like deployment and everything. But the victories are so big. I don't know how you would I had deploy a them big to where you can do that. In that deployment. Um, you know, trying trying to again like one to four. It, it, it's different than one to five. Like if it was one to five, that would have been easy peasy, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's just not the case. Um, so yeah, deployment was very tricky for me. I I don't think that there was another way that I could have done it while staying within you know that one to three of the border there. Yeah. I'm sure there's some way to do it, but maybe like put the flagship like sideways. Yeah, you would probably have to center it a little bit more. Exactly, but I mean that's just not that. Like when I play with you, I can't just give you run of the edges like that. <laughs> yeah, I love running on the edges. <laughs> yeah, I gotta you know I have to choose a, a defensible position essentially, and then make sure I'm in a position to defend it. Um, no, yeah, I gotta play my opponent a little bit in that sense. Yeah, so some of the things I'd change about my Recusant fleet is, like, the HIEs were great, but I think it's a bit overkill, and it makes the Gazantes too much of a juicy target. Mm, they were. They were worth it to shoot at. Yeah, but you also, like, didn't have any squads, so maybe, like, dropping those for some some ship damage. So, like, if I do dominate the squad game, Maybe they can start throwing hyenas at you, get a couple in there. But I don't know. Oh, and and maybe not Kraken. Maybe maybe some other commander. But Kraken is so fucking amazing. I think you use him very well too. Yeah. But overall, I think my fleet's really solid. the The one major change is the planetary ion cannon. I think if I had a different uh, defensive objective. Like, uh, fucking Fire Lanes. It's just a different game. Mm. Yeah, Fire Lanes, I mean, 
I'm trying to think, like, in that situation, like, would I have chosen anything, to, you know, one of the other ones? Um, that's a tough call. Yeah. That's a tough call. Um, I, I think Firelands would have been the better choice, though. Yeah, 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 for sure. But also, like, I've played Firelands so much, and it, at this point, it's, it is a fucking boring-ass objective for me. I'm like, oh, I'll do this. I'll start the game with a 90-point lead. And he has mm-hmm. to run at me into my ships, which is a terrible strategy. You know, I, I'll, I'm probably going to pick like Rift Ambush before I pick Fire Lanes at this point, you know. But that's you talking from a fun perspective as opposed to like a win perspective. Yeah, that's true. Right. So we kind of have to like separate that, you know, when we have these conversations. No, I don't think I need to. They, well, I mean, they, you don't need pe- to. People who are listening, when I say I'll, I'm going to pick Rift Ambush over Fire Lanes, they know. <laughs> they know why I'm saying it. That's fair. Well, um, cool. And, you know, as far as the end of the game, do you have any, like, major comments? I, I don't personally have any. I got a new camera for the top-down. Hopefully that that keeps us from having to lose that top-down perspective that I love mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. But... We'll test it on the next one, and hopefully it's good. Um, speaking of the top-down camera, uh, something that I did realize, <laughs> and it was really funny, it just really, you know, it, um, puts into perspective, like, our different philosophies of fleet building. Your entire side of the board was filled with cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, and you've got, like, you're like, oh, they're all the same, so I'm just gonna put one victory out, and just their tokens next to it, and those are the ships. They're all they all match. So you, I, you yeah. love having your your ships share up, upgrade cards and and be similar and not just similar in the way that they complement each other, but like these Being could the be same. the same ship. Yeah, I, like I actually need to use those identification tokens. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was just something kind of funny that I realized, um, you know, as as I started watching. Yeah, I love having many upgrade cards complicated interactions between all my ships and everything so great well you know i think it works out right because like when i look at what you have um you know laid out in front of you i have a hard time putting together exactly like what the interaction is between all of these ships Mm -hmm. i think that gives you an advantage because like i don't know what's coming unless i really sit down and think about it um and i think that gives you a bit of a bonus yeah yeah all right, cool. Um, so, you know, I think that we're kind of wrapped up here as far as talking about that last match. Uh, again, you know, that was definitely one of my favorite matches. I hope that, you know, in the future we continue to have matches like that, especially where I win. That always <laughs> makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, winning is good. Getting um, tabled is the worst. It's rare for you. It's the worst. It's super rare. Yeah, yeah. And not just um, when I'm playing against you, but just in general. Yeah. I, fucking, I don't like that. I don't like getting tabled. Excellent. All right, so we're moving on to the unconventional warfare review. Um, you know, I'm going to play the part of, you know, someone who doesn't know much about it because I truly don't. So definitely, you know, lead us through this conversation. Tell me a little bit about it. Okay, so after AMG got all of the Star Wars miniature game properties, everyone's wondering, like, you know, what are they going to do? What are they going to change? Blah, blah, blah. We've all heard the, the whining before. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the first things they came out with was this 
event called Unconventional Warfare. And it was, again, just out of the fucking blue. No promo, no hype, nothing. They just dropped this event. And they said, on, like, Wednesday or Thursday, I might be being a little bit dramatic about it, but they were like, all right, so we released this on Wednesday. It's this event. And over the next, starting on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so you have a three-day period, we're going to be doing this Unconventional Warfare event. And it's a whole global event. Everyone can participate. You play a game, and then you submit um, your results. So, like, who won based on what faction you've got, you know? Mm-hmm. Seems interesting. Sounds interesting. But, the, but again... It's only this Friday, this Saturday, and this Sunday. I'm not a fan of that. That's not even enough time to plan a game with someone. That is a lot of the problem. It's like, like, it it was just this weird disconnected reality where it's like, do you guys even know how long it takes to set up a game of Armada? (laughs) Or X-Wing? Or any of these games? Like, why only a weekend? And it's a progressive event. So, so you see these perks right here, where it's got you know one rule set in a bubble, the second rule set, and then the third rule set. So I see that on Friday there was only the top one, and the second the the two bottom ones were blacked out. Mm. So you could only play with the first one. You only knew what the first one was on Friday. Then on Saturday, the second one was unlocked. And then on Sunday, the third one was unlocked. So it was like set up to where you play three games back to back to back, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, each with a new set of perks. Mm. Which, first off, is fucking ridiculous. 100%. And so what ended up happening was, you know, I scheduled a game on Sunday... Like, that was as soon as we were able to play. Mm-hmm. And by then, all the perks were unlocked. And I was like, why don't you just leave them all unlocked and and, and just be it like that? It, it was so bizarre, their, their approach to this kind of event. I don't know if I've ever heard of anything similar to this happening. Like, this is so out of left field for me. And And just imagine it dropping a random week out of the year with with no previous talk about it or anything. It was just like they dumped it, just like they dumped rapid reinforcements. And then they're like, all right, this weekend event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, submit your results. And it went to like, um, like organized play promo. It was like whoever, whichever side wins will make the Intensify Fire card um, be that faction's Intensify oh, Fire. That's super dope. Which we're now just seeing in the uh, Summa All Things event pack. Like, you see those that's Intensify Fire ca- Power cards? Like, that's from, like, this event. Or it okay. could have been from, like, the Call of Destiny event. It's hard sure. to remember. It all blurs together, you know. But, so, so it was just this strange fucking way of handling an event. Like, why not have it be over the course of three months? Give people an opportunity to actually play this. You know, or play a couple games with, you know, the first set of perks and then the second set of perks, you know? Like, that would have been cool. Why? 
three days. It was so fucking weird. And it was just this, like, frantic discord of people, like, wondering what this is for. Is this, like, a permanent new rule set? Or, like, is, is it just, like, a one-and-done thing? Do they Are they going to do this again? It with, seems like it was a one-and-done. It was I a one-and-done. heard and of anything else like this. It was just one of the most bizarre fucking things you could imagine. You know, I would have hated to know if this was something that they used to try to judge interest in the game. That was also what people were talking about. Is like, are are they, are they tracking like how many people are submitting their games in for this event and being like, that's how many people are playing. Yeah, that that's not acceptable. It was only open for three days. Like, I was barely able to get a game in and submit some results. You know, it was like, and I'm a junkie for Armada. And for those that don't know, like to play a game of Armada, not at a game store, we had to go out, sorry, you had to go out and make this whole board, right? Like this whole extra table that at any other time sits against a wall in your house yeah. just to play this game. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Like it, It's not easy to get a, a six by three table or to like, no, you know, get, like imagine if I had a six by three, like fucking dining table, like. Where the fuck would that go in my house, you know? And then if you... It, honestly, if it's just 6 by 3 you have no room for your cards. Exactly, yeah. Right, you yeah, need the, a whole other board, side table. <laughs> uh, the board I made that you see on our battle reports is a 6 by 4 Yep. And yeah, it's it fucking propped up right behind me on the wall, looking ugly as sin. Yep, uh, unless it's in use, it is literally nothing else that's useful. It's just like a big fucking plywood board. Yeah, so it's like, but even going to a game store, like, even at our game store, we can only do our modded tournaments on, like, Sunday. Saturdays mm-hmm. are for Warhammer, Fridays are for card games. So it's it's two two days, and I know people who go to game stores, they know this. You can't just go whenever you want. There are events, there are tournaments that are happening all the time. I typically have to call ahead be like, hey, like, are you guys doing anything to, like special today um tournament wise because you can't use their, like their small skinny like card game tables you have to use the big warhammer tables yeah or you you make a fuss and you like put two fucking card game tables together oh, and, then you're, and then you're playing at like a waist height it's at, like some wobbly table that's got like this rift in the middle yeah so it, it it's just a bizarre way to approach it and it was so like like this desensitized approach it, it was it was really bizarre and it it made people, like, a lot of people really upset with the way they were, like, just approaching these new games they got. It was, like, and it was weird because they had Marvel Crisis Protocol as well. So I guess they were just, like, oh, fuck it. It's easy to play Marvel Crisis Protocol. I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't played that game. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it, it takes up the same amount of table space. But it was fucking bizarre at the time. It was definitely like an, an X-Wing perspective as opposed to an Armada perspective. Like, this is something that you could have done done with X-Wing. Maybe. I don't know. It, it even, even then. Because you have, like, it's not like this is a fucking video game. Like, you have to plan to meet up with another person. Yeah, but X-Wing you can do in, like, your fucking house is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true, but... That that's about as much as I'll say about that aspect of it. Fair enough. But anyway, so these perks, each day one of them would be unlocked, which 
It's bizarre. But it really signifies this like this extra area that you can approach Armada in as far as rules and design space. Because mm -hmm. there's no upgrades in this event. There's no extra cards. There's no extra squadrons. It's just like a paper document that says you can these do are the these rules. Things. These are the rules changes. So I think that's pretty interesting. I don't like a lot of the rules because one, they're insanely busted. Like I don't know if you've had a chance to like look at these. Which one would you say is the most busted? Let's take Anvil and Hammer. Okay. Well, which one from there? At the start of the command phase, friendly ships at distance one to four of your flagship gain a readied redirect defense token. Discard this token at the end of the round. This token cannot be recovered. So each round, every ship at one to four of your flagship gets a readied redirect. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the games that I played on Conventional Warfare, it was a, a Republic Obi-Wan fleet. Oh, yeah, see, so I'm looking at the perspective of, like, an Imperial player. I'm like, oh, that's good for, like, the first couple rounds of shooting, but after that, it's kind of eh. But if you're using Obi-Wan, that's a whole different story. Yeah, it was, like, Obi-Wan, expert shield techs, all, all that kind of nonsense, fucking tranquility. It was unbelievable. But anyway, so to go through the perks, there's, there's two sets. There's Unrivaled Starfighters mm -hmm. or Anvil and Hammer. Yeah. And and one of the things that was weird is you you pick it after or between place obstacles and place forces. Oh, so this is isn't even part of like the list building process. This is like an after effect. Okay. Which is which is weird because it feels like it should be an effect during fleet building. That's what Which I it kind thought. of is, but it kind of isn't. And you can generate a fleet that takes advantage of, of both. both of the perks and then decide which, like, is, best add, which is best for, for the game, which can be cool, but also is a bit weird. So you pick after placing obstacles, and then you unlock the perks. So I feel like the big balancing aspect is like the rules in fleet building... Uh, if you're going to be choosing unrivaled starfighters, you know, for instance, you know, each one can have a, you, sorry, you must include, you know, two ships with a squadron rating of three if you're going to be using the unrivaled starfighters. But I mean, that's just stuff that makes sense. Um, Anvil and Hammer, I think, is really the only one that's like restrictive, in which you can only include, sorry, you can't include more than one ship with a command rating of one. So like, you know, you can't have more than one Gazanti in that fleet. I feel like that's yeah. like the big restrictor. Um, I'm just trying to, like, you know, again, what does this have to do with alignment? Where does that fall into place? So, so the alignment part of it is part of the global event. So, Imperial and Separatists are on one team, Rebel and Republic okay, on another so it's team. Not and then when you do. submit your results, you just say light side, dark side, dark side one, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that had nothing to do with, like, the rules. It was just kind of fluff. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so essentially, you build up your fleet to match one of these um, perks, Unrivaled mm -hmm. Starfighters or Anvil and Hammer. And so Unrivaled Starfighters, each fleet must include at least two ships with a squadron rating of at least three. Each fleet cannot include any ships with fleet point cost higher than 150, which is like 
SSD and Starhawk, you know? Yep. Um, and then Anvil and Hammer, each fleet cannot include more than one ship with command rating of one. Each fleet must contain at least three ships. So those are the restrictions, and I think having fleet building restrictions is really fucking cool and interesting. Um, no, I'm in agreement with that. You're just looking like over at this. This is something I would have expected to have read in like Corellian Conflict or the other expansion there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it feels a lot like one of those like campaign expansions. But what's interesting about it is like playing with restrictions is fun. Like I agree. it's it's fun to have restrictions for fleet building. Like you can only have four aces in a fleet. Like, that's one of the things that wasn't always an aspect of the game, and it now is, and I feel like fleet building is way more interesting with that restriction. It's like, oh man, I really want Anakin, I want Axe, I want this and that, but you can only have four. So where are you going to drop uh, that squadron off, you know? Mm-hmm. And adding on to that is interesting, and getting a benefit for having... If you fit this bill. Yeah, if you fit this bill or you have a more restricted fleet or maybe you've got, or maybe like your fleet can't take a certain kind of upgrade and then gets a sideways benefit, you know? Like like maybe, oh, your fleet can't have any ordnance upgrades. Like you can't take any upgrades that have an ordnance slot. But your flagship gets an extra turbo laser. You know, you can do kind of sideways enhancements like that. And I think that's that really awesome. cool. The biggest problem I have with the way that this is presented is a lot of the times when I was playing these matches, I was just fucking forgetting what all the perks were because they weren't upgrade cards. This is like a separate document. That you it's have a to separate reference. document and we put it to the side and I kept looking at my all my upgrades and stuff and I just fucking, it wasn't there. It wasn't on my fleet. So it was it was really difficult to remember all of these perks. Like three perks is way too many. Mm-hmm. Like one really strong perk is enough, and that's honestly what I ended up doing. I just locked in on one perk and focused on that, and built and and built a fleet that would maximize on that benefit. And the one that I played against um, focused on Anvil and Hammer's second perk, where you gain. Uh, a redirect token and I was unable to kill anything hmm. it was just unable to have any damage done um, but I like the fleet building restrictions and I think if you have like I don't, I don't know what you would call it but like uh, a fleet building upgrade card or um, an unconventional tactics card that's like a fleet wide upgrade it doesn't really go on a ship but you put it next to your, your flagship or something, and it says, these restrictions need to be met, and then you gain this benefit. Mm-hmm. Or it can be multiple benefits. The cards are bigger now, so so you can do things like that. I think that's really interesting. I feel like this was like a good idea. It was just the execution. Yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, is there are a lot of good ideas but none of none of what's on paper, none of what's presented is usable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, none of this. Like, 
like Anvil and Hammer, its restrictions are so broad. You need at least three ships, which literally every fleet should have. Yes. And you can't take a ship or more than one ship with a command rating of one, which is so fucking easy. Yeah, can't have two Gazantes, basically. It's like, oh, how about your fleet needs to be made of ships that have more than hull five? Like, you can't have any less than hull five ships. Hmm. It's like, that's a restriction. I agree. I think that the Unrivaled Starfighters is a lot more restrictive, so to speak. Eh, kind of. But again, you can you can make a fleet... Yeah, One of the things I... I'm trying to, to get at is you can make a fleet that meets the requirements of unrivaled starfighters and anvil and hammer. And if Easily. you can do that, it's not restrictive enough. Well, I mean, cause then at that point, like what's the point of having the ability to select after the fleets are created? Right. So I feel like they kind of had that in mind. I think that's not good. I don't you think, think that's, that's the mistake. Yeah. That's the mistake is, is being able to select on the fly like you should commit to this unconventional tactics build that you're doing you you build the fleet around it you should have a plan for it but like being able to pick one of the two is is stupid and i feel like it's too broad and that aspect doesn't really do anything for me so i don't disagree with you but you know just reading through the rules kind of pdf that we have here uh, you know, when it comes to, like, you know, reading strategic approach, like, this seemed to be, like, essentially a requirement for them, is they wanted you to have the ability to choose on the fly. So it's kind of, I feel like, you know, when they made it, it was coming from a completely different perspective. So it was never really going to fit that bill, essentially. Yeah. Also, just reading the strategic approach, this is another thing where it's just, like, fucking tone deaf. It's like... Players may declare a single strategic approach for their squad based on their chosen squad building restrictions. What squad? There's no such thing as a squad other than the squadron cards in Armada. It's like, they're, yeah, they're fleet. fleets. They're fleets. It's not a squad. So it's just mm. like fucking weird. And I think there was something like the places, the place forces step. That's not a step in Armada. It's deployment, you know, is like just just little things like that that you that you see is like, oh, and also you see this fucking PDF. Do you know how fucking hard it was to find this PDF? I've never seen this before, to be honest with you. It was almost impossible to find. Like, I found the perks pretty easily, but finding this rules, this event rules document, I had to go on like an archived forum that was not associated with AMG at all, because obviously you can't find it on their website. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculously difficult to just find an image of this event. And just a quick takeaway of this PDF, the artwork is magnificent. Yeah, it looks really nice. I want this as my desktop background. Yeah, it's, it's fucking awesome. I'm a big fan, so but you know that that's just a side touch. <laughs> I keep looking at it like, damn, that is a beautiful victory. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, but then once you meet these fleet building requirements, you get the perks, and the perks I feel like are really excessive. They do some wild shit to the. So game. when I first read this, I thought it was like, okay, you can choose, you choose anvil and, ha and hammer, and then you choose a perk. 
I didn't realize that you essentially get all fucking three of them, depending on, of course, like the day that you play it, it seems. Yeah, um, that's one of the things where I was like, yeah. so we choose one and it's like, no, no, it's you get all of them for your fleet. It's like, oh, my God, it's it's like three additional rule sets to play through. And so Unrivaled Starfighters, I think that's good, right? Like, I think that those are good perks, but Anvil and Hammer is strong as fuck. See, that's the thing. It's like they're not equal at all in power level. No. Like, Unrivaled Starfighters sounds good until you start using it. And then you realize it's ass. And it's almost like Anvil and Hammer is like a counter to Unrivaled Starfighters. Was, Anvil and Hammer is just a counter to everything. Anvil and Hammer is <laughs> so fucking good. So Unrivaled Starfighters, the first perk, essentially... The command phase, you can select four friendly squadrons, move them at speed one. They don't trigger squadron keywords or activate them at all. It's just, you get a free speed one move. Pretty good. That's okay, yeah. But it's a movement. So you can't disengage with this. Mm. Good observation. Because you can't move if you're engaged. You know? That's kind of one of the limiting factors of it. Like, if it gave them cloak... You know, you choose four friendly squadrons, give them cloak. That's fucking cool. That would have been really but cool. But an additional movement, that's only useful for a certain period of time. And then, you know, you have everything engaged or this and that. You know, it's really restrictive. And then let's see what the counterpart is, is that you get to just fucking move shields. Yeah, for anvil and hammer. Yeah, you just get to... Yeah, like that's the counterpart to that. Like, holy shit, that's fantastic. For, for nothing, for nothing, you just, all your ships can move two shields. Anywhere. That's fucking crazy. And it, oh without exceeding God. the hull value, but like, I mean, honestly, that's, that's, that's a given, I think. That's so fucking crazy. You can just, you know, you take two on the nose, you can just take the ones off the back, you did not have to spend an engineering command for that. It, yeah, it, it's just fucking for free. It's, it's so incredibly good. And then you look at the second uh, layer of perks, and Unrivaled Starfighters gets friendly squadrons distance one to three of an enemy ship, gain dodge one. That's abysmal. It's like, what? Just dodge it, one? Like, it's awful. And then the counterpart, again, is that super fucking dope one of, you know, having a fucking new defense token. <laughs> yeah, just a free redirect defense token every time. What? It's like every round, what? I, it's just one to four of my flagship, and I get a Jesus. readied redirect defense token? Which is a really wide range, as we demonstrated. Even if I have two already, I'll get a third redirect defense token. It's like, fucking insanity that would have been great with the vader fleet and it's it's not it's not once per game i know it says at the end this token cannot be recovered but that's for things like whale explicits and shit who like recover Mm -hmm. defense tokens but like every round you just get this token and the flagship is friendly to itself so the flagship will always get it Ooh, good point so it's, it's fucking insane like even if it said this is how i know it's busted even if it said once per game you can do this it's still insanely good. Yeah. I mean, to get a defense token is so rare in this game. Yeah. And then let's move on to the third Unrivaled Starfighters perk. At uh, the start so, of the squadron So this phase. one is confusing. Oh, go ahead. This one's confusing. So I, I read it a bunch of times. Uh, it essentially, <laughs> it Essentially, you activate three of your squadrons. And then, and then you get to reactivate them during the squadron phase. Am I right? No. So at the start of the squadron phase, push the activation slider on up to three friendly squadrons that match the initiative token. So three friendly squadrons that haven't activated already. 
and then you can unactivate three squadrons, which obviously you would choose friendly squadrons, um, because why would you unactivate your enemy's squadrons, you know? So it's essentially, you're, tr you're making a trade, you activate three friendly squadrons to unactivate three other friendly squadrons. So squadrons that have already gone this round. And actually, that's a pretty good fucking perk. But it's the only good one. But it's the only good one. And then let's see what the counterpart is for the <laughs> Anvil and Hammer. At the start of the ship phase, nominate one friendly ship. During that ship's activation, it may reroll any number of attack dice during its first attack. Like, are Holy you serious? Oh, are you fucking serious? What the fuck? So the All problem right. is, you have these two choices, and if you choose Unrivaled Starfighters, you're, you're just disadvantage. You're just choosing the wrong one. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's fucking insane. Any number of attack dice, not on top of all the other rerolls that you have. You can just any just pick them up. It's fine, and you've already got large ships in your anvil and hammer lifts because why wouldn't you? And it's like this game Sorry. doesn't have the same restriction as like other games like Kill Team, where you can only reroll a certain die one time. Like you can keep rerolling a fucking die until you get the result you want. Exactly, and it's just so broad. You just get to pick whatever friendly ship. Like, why not your flagship only? Mm -hmm. And why not like once you do this, you can't reroll any other dice. Like you can pick up a whole fistful and redo a little bit of it, but after that, no more rerolling. Like you get what you get. Or like a veteran gunners where you have to reroll all of the dice. You know, you get a free veteran gunners. That's that's a good that's way cool. of balancing it, by the way. But this is just like insanely overtuned shit. Yeah, there's definitely a favorite here. There's definitely a favorite. And I just can't I'm I'm not saying that having the additional movement or, you know, getting friendly squadrons that are close to enemy ships like an ability dodge one's kind of fucking shit. As, as far as things go. Like, why not Adept 1? There's a lot of other better options. Why, not, not, even the, why not Dodge 1 and Adept 1? So, you know, like, they are actually... They feel unrivaled, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's it, just... It, there's a clear choice to be made here. Yeah, and, and when you're playing against a list that really takes advantage of the Anvil and Hammer perks, it, it feels like a game that it has lost balance. I think there's a reason why we haven't seen this come back. <laughs> yeah, but it's there's a lot of interesting things to explore, like gaining additional abilities for meeting these fleet restrictions. Obviously, none of these are usable. None of these perks are usable. They're all they're either overtuned or like so boring that no one would do it, you know? So you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. It, it seemed like one of the things you're kind of trying to touch on is how, you know, looking at these changes, um, you know, it, it perhaps gives us some, in some insight into a rules change that we might see with the new expansion coming out. Am I, am I correct in that in saying that? Maybe not so much as a rules change, but like a rules document that says, this is the goal of this Summa All Things event. And I feel like it's going to look a lot like this. Maybe not with the perks, but maybe with the concepts. The, the concepts, the kinds of... Because these are the rules that AMG have come up with. Like, this isn't old FFG stuff. This is like a document made by AMG 
they released it, and this is what they came up with. And this being their first one was just an example of like how disconnected they are from a game of Armada and like what is either interesting or you know feels fair and balanced. Because mm-hmm. when when you get someone who can break the game and they they get a hold of these perks, it's fucking insane. Like like what if you're playing against someone and you know they have a fleet, you have a fleet, and they brought Moralo Evolve, and then they choose Unrivaled Starfighters. Like, do you know the kind of abysmal matchup that would be? That's not a fun game. When they get to, like, before the round starts, at the start of the command phase, they'll just move three lambdas and activate Moralo three additional times before the ship phase. And then they'll do their their whole bullshit. Like, what if they have first player? So then they'll do that, activate Moralo of all three times, and then they'll activate their fucking Quasar, and then activate an additional, like, five or six times... It's, it's just an abysmal time. And same thing with Anvil and Hammer. You'll just do a huge shot. I, I think I did one shot where I had 12 damage against an Acclimator. He had Obi-Wan, Expert Shield Tex, and ended up taking like 2 damage. So he took a 12 damage shot, took 2 damage, or something ridiculous like that. Mm. It's just insanity, is the point. Yeah, definitely. I feel like... They played one game, and we're like, okay, we got to write some rules. And <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like that. So, I don't know. Like, I, I like the fleet restriction aspect. Like, I definitely, I would like to see um, smaller fleets, right? Because we definitely took a, a step towards larger fleets and like, the Corellian conflict and stuff like that. Like, you have, like, the, I think, like, the sector fleet battle or whatever. So, especially, like, with this, like, um, I imagine it's going to be us spiraling towards a black hole situation um you know i I would like to see like smaller fleets kind of show up well that that could be interesting because like let's say just staying on topic with with these kinds of fleet building restrictions let's say Mm -hmm. you build a fleet and you you're restricted at 350 like like let's say you don't put in 50 points in your fleet you stop at 350 out of 400 and then you get some insane benefit. Like an extra evade. Like one of these anvil and hammer perks. Like an extra redirect or an extra evade. Or something like that. And maybe you do have like a more elite fleet mm-hmm. that has some of these cool perks. And maybe that's worth it. And maybe that feels balanced. To me that is. Or let's say... Uh, let's go the other direction. Let's say you can build to 450, but now mm. none of your ships can have more than one upgrade card. Ooh. You know? That's interesting. Just just a simple line that says, these are the one or two restrictions, and this is the benefit. I'm not sure how fucking fair it is, but, like, I'm not a game designer. Fair. I mean, I definitely expect to see, like, a restriction, like, no large ships, right? Yeah. Like, that's something I kind of expect to see coming up. Yeah, but I think that can that can really open up an interesting kind of fleet building aspect. I think so. Like we know there's going to be like this coaxium token, right? Like I definitely feel as though 
it's going to play a part. You know, blow up a shit with coaxium. Anything within like three to five takes two damage. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a mix of capture the VIP and the um, Corellian Conflict hyperspace token. So where you you collect a coaxium token, and mm-hmm. and the whole goal is probably going to be get as many ships out from the fucking big tentacle monster as you can. That sounds great. And there's only three coaxiums. So you, you pick one up, and then you put a hyperspace token on your ship, and the next round it flies away, you know? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Or you bomb the fucking big tentacle demon. I don't know, but I, w- I want to know. I want there to be a page that fucking... I want to know what we're going to be playing. I want to get hype. getting hype. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to open up the box the day of and have to figure these fucking rules out in front of twenty people. That makes sense. Like, I want to know now. Like, because they they say it's coming out soon. There's two and a half months left in the year. So, is it coming out this year? I mean, if it comes out and we don't have a fucking like Karnak supplemental document that says this is actually how the game works. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's just going to be mass confusion. And then it's just going to be end up like put to the side for next month when I have time to read over what the fucking rules are and how to play the goddamn thing. You know, I want to know now. You and I are in the same boat. But fair, yeah. Um, so, that being said... I think we kind of wrap this up a little bit, unless you have anything else you would like to add. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's hit on the things, like just final thoughts of what we like about this whole setup. I like the fleet restrictions. Yeah. Um, well, potential fleet. Re- I don't like these ones, but I like uh, the concept of fleet restrictions. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of on the fence of whether or not I like the perks. I like the restrictions. I don't know if I like the perks, uh, but it's just because these perks, I think, are broken. Yeah. Uh, so we'll kind of have to see what else they think of, but it leaves a lot of room for improvement, I feel. Yeah, and I think, like, having a fleet restriction, again, that, that's one of the things that I like, and just having one or two bonuses or benefits to your fleet because of those restrictions is, like, really cool. And I think the idea of perks is okay, I guess. I don't like it. It It's kind of on the nose like i want i want it to be an upgrade card like it's it's just it, i don't like if you showed me this this image of these perks i would be like oh yeah that's just for a different game that's not mm. for armada the only thing that's our armada on this is the redirect token icon that's the only thing i agree with that it could be for any game and it just doesn't sync up with what Armada is. It needs to be an upgrade card that I can put by my fleet. I don't want to print out this weird document. Imagine trying to convince someone to play this with you and they don't know what the fuck is going on. It's like, hey, let's play this event rules. And it's like, oh, your fleet has perks now. And they're like, did you make that document? Did you just type that up? Like, where's my artwork? Like, it would be so much better to have, like, a car that's, like, you know, no large ships, you get this thing. Exactly. And like It's cool. It's It's got to maintain consistency. Like, 
Like, where's my artwork for Unrivaled Starfighters? Where, where's the little image of the Starfighters dodging around a ship? Or, like, for Anvil and Hammer, like, just make an ISD take a big exploding shot and have a big image of, of a power shield, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. it's not that fucking hard. Yeah, but it, it's just completely disconnected from the game. And, and that's one of the major dislikes about this. Like, I'm all for talking about how unfair these perks are. But that's different than it just not even... Than me not even being able to associate it with the game of Armada. I think that this is a rare episode where you and I are agreeing on most of these things. Yeah. And and you you've just been introduced to this like today like imagine playing a game and you're like these perks are out of fucking control so since we've been talking about it this actually did kind of bring back some memory of me reading these things i remember reading it and then nothing else yeah and that's how i assume most people went through and encountered this is like they read it they're like i can't get a game in this weekend and never played it at all yeah uh, and that's what happened with me so I, I yeah i definitely think that happened with most people and that's again like you know bringing this kind of full circle uh armada is not a game that you just call some dude up and it's like hey what are you doing right now right um it, yeah. it takes planning um you know even for you and i like we plan this two sometimes even three weeks in advance yeah it's, you definitely need a lot of time a lot of time to set up it's and it's space. like a whole like four hour experience you know like it's fuck. an afternoon yeah so like i can't do this and then fucking go to work right like <laughs> yeah or you can't you can't just like be done with work and be like oh come over we'll do a, like a 15 minute game you know no it's fucking ridiculous so that was one of the major dislikes was just like hey like maybe one month put this out so that we can read the fucking rules and then Say, okay, starting November, this event starts, and you get these perks. You know, play one or two games. I can do that. And then the next month, it just have it be, like, a consistent rolling out thing. And also, like, just having two sets of perks to pick from, like... It's pretty restrictive. Is, is not enough. Like, And then one that's clearly better than the other. Especially one that's clearly better. In, in all aspects, at every tier, it's better in such a significant way that you just are playing a game of Armada where both sides are playing Anvil and Hammer, which is what happened. Is like, I chose Anvil and Hammer, my opponent chose Anvil and Hammer. And so now we're just playing this tuned-up version of Armada, and it doesn't really feel that interesting because we're like, are you getting your redirects? It's like, of course I'm getting my redirects. That's why we're playing right now. And it's like It feels very homebrew. Are you re-rolling all your dice for your first attack? And it's like, of course I am. Like, why wouldn't I? You're going to do the same thing with your first attack. You know, is is just this weird power increase of Armada, and it didn't feel interesting at all. So yeah. All right. Um, cool. I, I think that's it. We can kind of wrap that one up if you're ready to kind of move on a little bit. Yeah, let's How's go on to list review. Um, so moving on to our next segment, we're going to be doing a list review, specifically uh, a Radis list, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So this is a, a Radis list. 
Um, we're going to, we don't have the assault defense and nav listed here, so we can potentially talk about what might be good fits for those. Uh, but we're starting out with an MC-75 Ordnance Cruiser at 100 points. He's going to feature Lando Calrissian. Ordnance Experts, Electronic Countermeasures, External Racks, Assault Proton Torpedoes, and Profundity. Excellent. Uh, totaling at 130 points. Uh, next, we'll have an MC-30C Torpedo Frigate, natively 63 points. He's going to feature Admiral Radis himself, Walix Blissix, Ordnance Experts, External Racks, Foresight, totaling at 110 points. Uh, we're also going to feature a Hammerhead Torpedo Frigate, one of my favorite uh, ships visually. It's going to oh, yeah, have Ezra so cool. Bridger. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Uh, Ezra Bridger, Shreve, or Shriv, Sergov, External Racks, Garel's Honor, totaling at 53 points. GR-75, medium transport. Uh, it's going to have Hondo, one of your favorites, Hondo Onaka. <laughs> going to have Comsnet as well, which is a great car, totaling at 22 points. For squadrons, Shara Bay at 17, Tycho Kelchu at 16, Dash Rendar, very good at 24, uh, Standard YT2400, a little strange, at 16. Uh, total squadron value is going to be 73, total fleet value at 388 points. Um, so first things first, uh, you can kind of help fill in the gaps for me here. What, what is the main difference between 1.0 and 1.5 Radis? So one of the major changes from Admiral Radis is it, it's like a small-ish change, but because of it, the whole entire way you build Radis lists has completely changed, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this Radis fleet, is because this is what I feel and what I've seen some people playing is like the go-to Radis list. Because now you don't have as much flexibility even though you have an increase in range, and that kind of restricts your fleet building options. Because the first, the original Radis said, uh, before deploying fleets, you set aside one friendly ship, start of any round, deploy that ship at distance one of a friendly ship. And then can't be overlapped uh, squadrons and can't be the first ship to activate that round. Pretty standard. It seems like the difference is, is now it has that range restriction of uh, deploy that ship at distance one to two of you. Am I right? Yeah. Or command value now, three. Now it's um, now it's a command value three or less, so you can't rat us a Starhawk. Imagine the fucking nonsense of raticing in a Starhawk. I don't Fuck. think that's that. nonsense, but we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> that okay. Um, now, now the big change is at the start of any round, you may deploy that ship at distance one to two of you. So you specifically means the ship that Radis is on. Mm -hmm. So before, you could have a really cheap GR-75 and a really cheap CR-90. And then you place them kind of at opposite ends of the board and you just kind of try and get behind the fleet or in as good a position as you can and then you just get have to, to commit pick. one direction or the other no then you just get to pick which one radis comes in on the gr75 or the cr90 that's how it used to be so you had this just huge deployment area that you could place radis in it was just this like quantum zone of radis where it could be in between these two ships or or 
you can deploy it at the GR75 or at the CR90, either one, it doesn't matter. But now it's whatever ship Radis is on, that's the one that it has to be deployed at. But you get a little bit of a range increase, you get distance one to two, but now you can't decide based on you know each round or the way the game is going. Or if your GR75 dies, now you can only do one, you know? It's more clear where Radis is going to be. And you don't get to just, you know, have two ships go in, in separate ways. And mm -hmm. it, it was fucking nonsense. Fair enough. All right. I mean, like, so first thing to kind of talk about here, and let's go ahead and touch base now. I don't think that having a Starhawk flash in is really, I think it's great. Like, it's a great perk. I don't think that's outlandish. I don't think that's game-breaking. The um, reason it's outlandish is because you can just delay the Starhawk till round four, and then it'll never die. That's I mean, why. but that's the game, right? Like, it, it's a points game. This yes, isn't a table it, it, game. It, it is a points game, but you can just put so many points on the Starhawk that it just, if it's unkillable, because you only have three rounds to target it, and depending on where you can put it, it's just, you put it in a space where it's not double arced, double arcing your opponent's ship and it just you just can't you can't do it hmm. and it's so it's ahead. just a nonsense idea to me to be able to radis a starhawk so for me i feel like the radis has always been a bit of a gamble right because if you delay too much in that tactic these ships get blown up i mean that's it for you though am i right yeah, yeah, that's true. And and I've done that before where someone overextended with a Radis ship and you just tap it with the Psy Moon and bye-bye. Mm -hmm. And know, it's, just a con it's just a concession at that point. Especially like the Onager being, you know, in play now, which I believe came out uh, around the After same time Radis, as the yeah. So I feel like, um, I don't know. I don't think it's that outlandish. I can see where you're coming from for sure, but I'm not uh, in that same boat with you. And you're talking about just the Starhawk coming in? Precisely, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I, I feel like it's just easier not to have to deal with, you know, all that nonsense of a Starhawk coming in. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. you, you put Radis on a really maneuverable ship, and it's just, just imagine, start of round three, your ISD has a Starhawk double arcing its rear arc. Yeah, no, that that is a pretty tough You deal. just haven't been able to shoot at it, and now it's behind you. So, But there's so many steps leading up to that. That's true, but, I mean, CR-90s are fucking maneuverable as hell, and distance 1 to 2 is significant. It's just, it's not within distance 1 to 2, just at. Just the mm -hmm. tiniest little corner. The tiny little corner, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pros and cons, but I think it's balanced, personally. At that point, I think it's balanced. Well, we'll, we'll just disagree but, on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, you know, one of the main components of having an effective Radis list is having a significant bid. Tell me why. Because, you know, if, if you don't have first player, then you don't get to do the cool, you know, you Radis in, like, an MC-75, and then you profundity out the hammerhead, and then, because you're first player, it specifically says the MC-75 can't go first, but the hammerhead that just popped out can. And it gets mm -hmm. a fucking range one, or close range shot, it gets to do nonsense, it gets to ram, all that good shit. But hmm. to consistently get that, you need a huge fucking bid. Um, yeah, and, and again, that's just another balancing aspect of that. 
Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, let's talk about some other aspects here. Uh, let me pull up that list again. Um, one, two, three, four. It's like four activations, am I right? That's a pretty good amount. Yeah, but remember, at the start of the game, you'll, you'll only have two activations because you'll only have the MC-30 and the GR-75 on the board. You know, something interesting here, and you're not going to like me bringing this up, uh, huh. and you're going to disagree. Okay. You may set aside one of your friendly ships. You don't actually have to do this. You're right on me disagreeing with you. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you are correct. You may, but like, if I'm building a whole Radis fleet and I'm paying 26 points for this one ability, I'm going to fucking use it every time. Hmm. So maybe you can correct me a little bit, because aren't there a lot more expensive commanders uh, for the Rebel fleet than 26 points? There are a lot more. Um, what would you say is the cheapest uh, for Rebel commanders? Dodonna and Krista. Where are they at? 20. So it's like six more points, or six less points for Dodonna and Krista, because they're both at 20. That's not that much. I, you know, I feel like using him for the ability to do this if it suits you is valid. But also, at the same token, maybe not even using him. Uh, you know, for instance, sometimes when I use Ramadi, right? Um Sure, like it's great if I can overlap ships, but at the same point, he's he's just a cheap commander to use. If I don't end up using his ability, he still has that secondary thing of I have other upgrades that are handy. I mean, yeah, I know you don't. You're not going to agree with it. It's not even like a super strong argument that I have, uh, but I still think it's valid. Yeah, I mean, maybe if, but that's that's one of the things about this list because one of the the things I'm about to bring up is maybe if you're flying against an onager. And you're like, oh, well, what if they kill my MC-30? The MC-30 is specifically built to where that will just never happen. So I, I kind of agree with you, maybe, if this was a different list. Like, if you just have, like, Wiko CR-90s. But that's kind of the thing, is I feel like the way that Radis is now really restricts the kinds of efficient Radis lists you can build, mm -hmm. because... He's on the ship he's on, and he's not just some elusive commander who can deploy on any ship, you know? Yeah, no, the restrictions definitely change the game. And so you generally will put him on a, a small ship and all that. But this MC-30 is kind of built to where that doesn't happen. So MC-30's got double evade, double redirect. It's got foresight, so when you resolve the evade, you affect an additional die. And then when you resolve the redirect, uh, a defense token, you can choose one additional hull zone to suffer damage. So it's like... Yeah, that's pretty tanky. This is a survivable ship. Even if you take an onager shot, if you're at extreme range, you can discard one to cancel four dice. That's really impressive. And then, next round, you just get that evade back with Whale Explicits. The scenario in which like an onager just fucking pops you is like... Is so slim. But how many points did it take to make that happen? Like five, eight for foresight? I mean, it's a, it's definitely, I think, purpose-built in that sense. I don't think that's just like a native thing that you're going to see on the MC-30. Yeah, yeah. It, well, for sure, those upgrades aren't native. But like, what because Radis is so specific and limited now, is that I feel like having this foresight, you know, Radis boat, is necessary because like if you've got 
you know, a Corvette A and you put Radis on it and they shoot at you with an Onager, like, that thing is fucking dead. Yes. It's got double evade one redirect. There's there's no extra oomph. They can just out-dice you. You're not going to be able to cancel enough. It's like, you're going to have to get a Corvette A and, like, put a defensive retrofit on it or something. <laughs> and even then it might still die. That's super valid. You can only redirect so many shields. You can only use that defense token once. You can only use a defense token once. And if they just do enough damage, it's over. The MC-30 is is just enough to where you can survive a big hit. And honestly, if you're taking more than one hits with your MC-30 and you haven't deployed Radis yet, then, I mean, you're just asking for it, you know? But... I think Foresight yeah. really allows you to survive, because you don't have to completely spend your evade to use Foresight's ability. You know, you don't have to discard it. You can just do it for each attack. Good point. And you've got double evade, so... That's going to last a while. I feel like unless you are really fucking flying by the seat of your pants and you want to do, like, a CR-90 Radis boat for some extra points, it's like... I feel like you're kind of limited in this really evasive mc30 torpedo frigate fair fair um anything else of note talking about this list here uh tell me about what what is shriv again what does that one mean so shriv so this hammerhead is really great okay so like just just the deployment advantage you get you can just perfectly get a double arc after you radis mc75 and it pops out of profundity you know um but it's got uh, Ezra Bridger, which is great. Shriv Shurgov, X-Rax, and Gorel's Honor. So Ezra, once it pops out, once you activate the Hammerhead first, because hopefully you have a high bid for a first player, you just get to move an obstacle. So like if there's an obstacle in the way of the MC-75, you can move that and like place it in front of your target ship, like an asteroid, so you can just fucking destroy a ship. That's awesome. But Shriv, when you reveal a command, you can discard a squadron dial or token and discard and uh, choose one enemy ship at close range, choose and discard, uh, gunnery team, support, offensive, defensive, you know, attack, upgrade cards, ordnance, ion, or turbo laser, and just discard it. So, like, imagine Shriv pulls up and discards your fucking gunnery teams. It's a big deal. Or your, your swivel mount batteries, you know, or your XI-7s. And for only six points, that's not bad. He can just roll up and discard your ECM. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And then, like, what can you do? Because you've got so much flexibility with your positioning, you can't get damage off on the hammerhead before it gets to you. It's going to be a fresh hammerhead. So, like, it's an almost guarantee that you're going to get this shriv off. And you've got Hondo, so you don't even have to put in a, a squadron command dial. You place the hammerhead. You just have it. You get the, the, the squadron token, and you get the shriv. It's, it's easy. Yeah, so you can definitely do that within the first few turns. And so you can really take advantage of not having those upgrades. Well, your opponent not having those other upgrades for the rest of the game. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, you, you get the dream where you, you know, you use Ezra Bridger to move an asteroid in in the path of the target. You shriv their bullshit. X-Racks for extra damage. Confire. And then you Gorel's Honor for the fucking face-up crit. You ram them, they get a face-up, doesn't matter. It's just incredible. It's an incredible ship, 
and it's cheap. It's 53 points for all that. I was just going to bring that up. That is a very inexpensive ship. So I love this, and when it goes off, it goes off hard as fuck. No, that's definitely going to be a, a favorite of mine. I really like this combination in this setup. Very, very good. Yeah, well, go ahead. We'll move on to... This is going to be a quick one, the GR75. Um, Hondo Comsnet. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Um, easy peasy. Uh, really good, though. I mean, for 22 points, like just having the activation itself is really fantastic. And then it, it's a boat for Hondo. Yeah, it's a boat for Hondo. You can, you can be Comsnetting engineering to your MC30 if it mm-hmm. does start taking damage or... You know, navs or for all of this stuff. I think we we skipped over the MC seventy five. Let's talk about. Yeah, that we're coming back quick. to that. I want to talk about these smaller ones and then kind of move on to like the profundity title uh, and how these kind of tie into that. So um, we can go ahead and do that now, right? Zero seventy five doesn't need a lot of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's yeah, let's talk about MC seventy five. We have Lando. We have ordnance experts. We have uh, ECMs. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the best cards, I believe. Um, again, external racks with assault proton torpedoes. Yeah. Um, and then the profundity title to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. So profundity is going to have the hammerhead in it. You know, one small ship, command value one, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just great. And it works perfectly with, you know, the Radis commander, which you would want from, like, just a thematic, like, stance is, like, the profundity is Radis's MC-75 and it, it deploys a ship at the end of the movie, you know, like, like this is perfect. Yeah, we know what's going to be there. That's and good combo. it's specifically for getting around Radis's restriction of the the ship that you brought in can't activate first, but the one that drops out of the profundity can. So that's why the bid for first player is so great. But Lando is amazing because you can't activate the MC seventy five first you're probably going to be in close range of whatever high priority target you're at. So, you know, if it if it's got black dice, you really need some mitigation there because you're not going to mm-hmm. be able to to activate this one. It's going to take a hit because obviously they're going to activate it. You know, if they don't, then you're just playing against someone who's not threatened by the MC-75 when they you have like a perfectly positioned double arc on them. And then it's like, okay, well then, then that's fine. But land is amazing. It's, it's a one-time use. Reroll one or more dice of your choice. I think that Lando is amazing both as a, um, you know, an ace and also as an officer upgrade. Yeah, and really the only reason that you don't have Lando um, squadron in here, I mean, God, he's such a great squadron. I might even consider swapping this officer out so you can have Lando squadron. I prefer him as an ace. Yeah. But four points, though, I mean, that's uh, for those rerolls. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and really that's just to benefit the M- MC-75 because it's only got brace redirect and two contains, and it's like, God, it's not as defensive as I'd like it to be. And so you just you kind of have to take ECM, and it, then just Lando lets you avoid such a large amount of damage. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good one. But Lan- Lando Squadron is so good, though. Yeah, in general, I think this MC-75 is built pretty well. And then for only 130 points. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Like, I think that's, like, a common thing across these ships. Is none of them are particularly expensive. Yeah, and, and that's one of the, the great things about it, is, like, you know, they're, they're trying to go after the MC-30. They're probably not going to kill it because it's got Foresight and Whalix. And then, once you drop the MC-75 and Hammerhead, 
like they're not going to target the MC30 at all. Mm-hmm. And then you just get away with 110 points of your fleet. And then maybe it gets into a good position, snaps a fucking small ship. It's, it's a great fleet, and it, it can do a lot. I definitely agree. Um, I think moving on to the final part of this fleet would be the squadrons. You know, Sharube, Taiko Kelchu, uh, and then Dash, Rendar, and a YT-2400, which I think is a little strange. I guess, like, to round it all out to have, like, you know, the fourth instead of just three makes sense. Yeah, yeah YT-2400 YT is just an amazing ship. It's speed four, six hull. It's got four anti-squadron and a black anti-ship with rogue. It's like, it's fucking great. The rogue, I think, is what makes a difference. If it didn't have the rogue, I would have sooner chosen an X-Wing. Yeah, yeah, I would have just chosen something else. But Dash Rendar is, like, fucking amazing. He gets all the re-rolls and shit. And really, Tycho and Shara are just to lock down any weak shit that's trying to tie up Dash. And Dash yeah. is just going to do bomber damage. And, and the squads, you can probably fiddle around with whatever you like. And, you know, just looking at this list in, in its entirety, all this for 388 points. Yeah. That's a lot. It's the flexibility of deployment of, like, oh, yeah, at the start of round three, I get to place my MC-75 however I'd like, double-arcing whatever ship I'd like, and then I'm going to deploy the hammerhead and fuck you up with Shriv, move shit around with Ezra... You know, it, it's just, it's awesome. I think this, like, really, like, packages a Rebel fleet nicely. Like, it's got all the things going off in all the right places, and it really, it feels like a Rebel fleet. Yeah, it has that kind of, like, you start out scrappy, and then the tides turn. Mm-hmm. The MC-75 is there, drops the hammerhead, shit starts getting fucked up. The, the face-ups are coming, you know? It's great. I love it. Yeah, definitely a good list. I would say on a 1 to 10, this is a 7 or 8. Yeah, yeah, it, it feels pretty good. So, as far as objectives go, which ones do you think you would take for this? <sighs> okay, um, you know, I think that for the assault, um, advanced gunnery is a given. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we don't have gunnery teams anywhere. Any of these ships getting to shoot twice is a huge boon. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'll be fantastic. But then, what do you get for defensive, you know? Uh, defensive that would be yellow if i'm not mistaken right so i'm yeah. thinking uh, you're gonna you, you might disagree i i think the uh was a fire lanes would be a good one maybe you, just you to just get put them on your side and yeah just get some points fire lanes is always good i think with this list it is a points game because like you're gonna lose something so you know having that extra buff is good and then navigation's a tough one I feel like normally, you know, I would choose Solar Corona. You love Solar Corona, dude. Yeah, it's just, I feel like it's just good in every situation. Like, in what situation do you not want the entire enemy's fleet to be deployed? And then on top of that, position yourself to where one of your accuracies just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right? That's always great, especially if you don't have ECMs. But you do have ECMs. And then I feel like a lot of this list is that you are free, a little bit more f- free when it comes to deployment. Um, you know, you do already have four ships. You do have the two um, squadron additions that you could technically deploy, you know, two at a time. Yeah. So it, it's kind of tough. I, I don't know if I would choose Solar Corona as the best one, but it's definitely going to be a contender in there. Yeah. Do you want to hear uh, my options? You know what, Chandler? I think I might want to hear your options. <laughs> Go ahead. So for offensive, surprise attack. Okay. Because then you know where their flagship's going to be. And then... 
they've got a bunch of fucking raid tokens. You raid their engineering, you raid their nav, they can't escape, your MC-75, they, they can't even deploy at a greater speed mac of higher than their maximum speed rounded divide and have how the fuck did that work yeah so they can't deploy any ship at a speed greater than half of that ship's maximum speed so like mm. they're not going anywhere they can't run they can't point it sideways and run away like they're going to have to deal with your radis like right away that's definitely in your benefit yeah and obviously raids help so uh, now for navigation jamming barrier Ooh, I haven't heard of that in a long time. Now you really have a safe approach. Now they're they're attacking you with half their pool, two dust fields on the board, and you get to place the the jamming barrier. So now you so, you have a free fucking approach. You don't have to worry about arcs or onagers at all. That makes sense. And honestly, and again, this is a points thing, right? So reserving those, not getting stuff blown up, is always going to be in your benefit. Mm-hmm. I'm always hesitant to choose jamming barriers because I feel like it affects you just as much as it affects them. It does, but remember. But in this case, like you've got you've got MC30 with blacks and blues, MC75 ordnance carrier is going to get dropped at close. Same with the hammerhead, and you get to choose. You just deploy them beyond the jamming barrier, and and there you go. And obviously, these are all objectives that you would give your opponent if you were second player. Which would suck, because it kind of fucks up the whole routine of, you know, dropping the hammerhead and going first and getting the fuck up field, you know? And then for uh, defensive, obviously, or navigation, my bad, uh, the You're fucking good. infested fields. Infested obviously, fields. Because moving obstacles is great. You've got, you know, dash, YT, Shara, and just nab four tokens right off the bat. Exogorths to move the obstacles, and then when the hammerhead comes out, you can use Ezra and reposition it again. No, so that'd be, That's a really solid... Just just some great nonsense that you can do. Yeah, I definitely agree. Those are good options. I, I really like this variant of, of Radis. And also, I like that he's kind of restricted to the ship that he's on, because I, I played a bunch of Radis at, like, 1.0, and it, it was fucking annoying, dude. It, it felt like you couldn't do anything. There was no mm. correct response. It, it was nonsense, for sure. Are you saying that as an opponent or as a player, though? Just as a player. Okay. Just, like, in general. Because it sucks when, like, someone has, like, a commander and you're like, well, fucking, I can't do anything. I, I don't have, like, any good moves here. This feels bad, you know? You want to at least be able to do something. And the, the original Radis, it felt like you had no good options. I mean, that's how I feel about Vader. You can't do shit about that. <laughs> yeah, but Vader is just a reroll. It's not like there aren't, uh, there isn't like the large ship on the board and it's just going to pop yeah, out double right. arcing behind. You seem to have you a know? lot of value in that. Yeah, like, uh, it's, yeah, hope, hopefully I'll be able to field this one soon. We'll do like a battle report on it. It, it feels very fucking significant. Uh, I'll be happy to play it. Yeah, so overall, very, very good uh, list review. You know, as always, if you guys have a list that you would like for us to review, please submit it in the comments section of our YouTube channel, and we'll gladly tell you what parts are fantastic and what parts are <laughs> shit. There you go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brace for Impact podcast. You can check out our battle reports and other video content on your YouTube channel. And if you would like, you can support our future content and get early access to videos and podcasts on our Patreon. 
We'll see you next time. Um, before we move on to some other things, this is something that recently came up. I didn't have a chance to kind of add it into our docket for today. Huh? Um, but this is Warhammer related, if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's going on in the Warhammer world? They released the new box set for Kill Team. Oh, they did? They did. All right, are you ready for who's going to be in it? Yeah. Kasserkin and Bespoke Necrons. Uh, Gazuntite? Maybe Gazuntite. What even words did you say? Who are they? What? Kasserkin. 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 K A S R K I N. So, uh, Kadian Shoopers. Oh. Oh, okay. Oh, so like guard guard people. Kadian Troopers. They're not just guard, they're Kadian. It's very I, different. What's the, what's the difference? They're people. They're better. Are they better? What makes them better? They're better. They're better people. They are sig- um they say that they're better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Where yeah. is where can I find this new box? What's the name of it? Because I'm trying to look. Uh, at it. I'm gonna look it up for you right now. I'm gonna send it over to you. Okay, I found it. Did so you find Gal- it? Gallo Dark? Yeah, that sounds about right. And then uh, it should also have the Necrons on there. Oh, these guys look cool as fuck. And then bespoke Necrons, right? So right now, the only way to field a Necron is with the Compendium team, uh, which is just like you can have, you can choose from either a fire team of fucking warriors, or a fire team of fucking death marks, or a fire team of flayed ones. Um, I th- I think that's it. Or mortals, right? And then you choose two fire teams, and like that's fucking it. And that's yeah. really fucking boring. But now, if you look at the models, it looks like there's a fucking chronomancer looking dude. Looks like we have some goddamn scarab looking things. Like two uh, death marks as opposed to like a fucking fire team. It, it, it's bespoke. Uh, yeah. So it's. Yeah, you that's, know, it's that's one thing. of the things about the kill team game in general that I'm really down on is that until your faction gets a box, that team is trash. It does. Yep. They they don't have specialists or any cool rules. It's just like very true. They're just dudes, and then if you go up against a a team that has a box, like they're just way fucking better. Um, eh, you know, honestly, I think that the uh, Necron teams that I've been running, it's really fucking strong. So I'm kind of hesitant to say that it's better, especially if you look at the lineups. Well, let's let's wait until we see the rules for these Necrons when they come out. They'll probably be fucking insane. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I, I'm so excited. But no, you, you definitely have a point where uh, you want to wait for the box for your team. But also, they're releasing a box every quarter. Yeah. That's As like their do. game plan. Um, and then the new uh, terrain that is in the last two boxes. So it was this one, which is like the Kasserkin and the Necrons. And then the other one was uh, was also another shipboarding kind of terrain setup which is actually the the field is smaller than the field that we played our kill team on oh yeah if you can believe it yeah it's a smaller thing even smaller um, even smaller it's much more enclosed like you're in you're supposed to be like inside of a ship right mm-hmm. um so it's just really really cool shit oh, i, uh, the I la- see the terrain it's got a lot of fucking terrain does it come with all that it comes with all that dude and That's the door is open a lot of terrain. That's cool. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm I'm very very excited. I love the idea of Katie and Troopers. You know, again the Casserkin, uh, and then you know how I feel about Necrons. I'm a bit of a slut for Necrons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Necrons are fucking cool. They're cool though, dude. Mm-hmm. These so guard guys much look more sick, information. Though. I'm sorry. The, the guard guys look sick. Yes. Uh, you should look up the boarding troopers from the last box that came out. I think you would like those guys even more. I, I they think are, I remember seeing them. They were like the fucking level. Navy, right? Yeah, they're like the Imperial Navy dudes. They are fucking dope. Yeah, Kill Team Navy Breachers. Let's see them. Let's fucking see them. Oh, and they were in with like the Crute. Yes, That's the cool. Crute was the opposite, which I think are a little weird. I don't like them too much, but... I don't like Crute either. Like, I, I, I've got Tau, and I'm like, I would rather play anything else than the Tau. Or not the Tau, the fucking Crute. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the fucking Crute are lame. These Navy Breachers look fucking sick with those shit. They are dude. next level. And there's, like, a little robot that you get, too. Like, a little, like, um, like a bomb-disabling robot. That's what I would, you know, real-world counterpart to it. That's fucking sick. Yeah, so um, these last two boxes, and especially this new one coming up, I'm very hyped for. Cool. And, you know, again, not much more information, you know, on it just yet. We really just got, like, the image releases and, and kind of, like, what's going to be featured in the box. Um, pretty soon, hopefully, we'll have some rule. Yeah, but once, once they start doing, like, little hype previews, they're, they're normally, like, going to be here pretty fucking quick. Exactly that. So, uh, But they are, I think, currently taking pre-orders. Sweet. Yeah, so I'm excited. All the, all those kill team things are pretty fucking cool. I think that you know, again, I haven't like played a full game of Warhammer or anything like that. I know that you have, but kill team is really just right up my alley. And the entry cost is pretty low. Yeah, the setup the, is pretty from, quick. From what I've played, kill team is really cool. It's really like quick and snappy, but like playing normal Warhammer, man, that. It, it sucks so much that the, the guys that I play with, we've all been, like, playing these alternate rule sets because it feels so ass. Because the thing is, like, imagine playing a game of Armada, you know, mm-hmm. but one person activates all of their army all at once as That's one shit. big activation. And then, after they go, then you can activate all of your army. Or, what normally happens, what's fucking left of it. That's just not fun. So what what we started doing that makes the game feel less bad and terrible and awful to play is we go through each of the phases and we just alternate activations. So we'll activate one group, then the other person activates one group. So like, you know, I'll move, then you move one guy, I'll move one guy. And so... It's more dynamic. It lets you fucking use the models you brought because... You know, activating a whole army, like, if you've got one guy and his foot is, like, just barely out, and you just fucking jump on that dude, you fucking kill the whole group, and then you're like, I had, like, a whole quarter of my army is gone, and now it's my round one. You know? It's, it's, it feels like ass. So, so that's, like, a big thing. If you're changing core rules like that, like, why play the fucking game? Like, literally, like, it seems like it's, like... You're playing it just to use your models when you have Kill Team at your disposal. You can just well, fucking play Kill Team. Because Kill Team doesn't have cool big robots. Yet. And I like cool big robots. Doesn't have cool big robots yet. Yeah, but then at that point, that's that's not Kill Team. But, like, that's one of the biggest restrictions on why I don't play Warhammer more is, one, 
the dudes who play it are fucking, how do I say this, weird to socialize with. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you know? You, you know, you, you meet some of those people and you're like, oh, man, like, why aren't you being cool? Why are you being like a fucking weirdo? You know? <laughs> and then the second part is the rules are ass. Yeah. Like, they've got their general core rules, but there are so many core rule-breaking abilities and stuff that are just on a per-faction basic that like you can play against an army and not know anything it's capable of. So I like that, because that seems real to me. But, sure. We'll, we'll just keep it going. But, yeah, but but it's... It would be cool if it wasn't, like, so significant. I was playing mm-hmm. against this one orc guy. And, you know, I set all my dudes up. And I was like, all right, my first time playing orcs. And he's like, I'm going to use this ability. And I'm going to move, like, this big truck full of guys. And he's going to move into your deployment zone. Huh. And then he's going to shoot and unload all his guys. And they're going to shoot at you. There we go. And I'm like, holy shit. You, That's like, leapt across the board, you know? And, and then it's, like, it's weird stuff like that where you're, like, holy shit. Yeah, and the moment you have orcs in your face, it's over. Yeah, that's, that's like, something I wanted to know could be possible. So, cool. Yeah, I just want to touch base on that one. Uh, seems like an excellent opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, bring it up in the future as well. But there we go. Um, All right, take see. us away. Yep. Uh, final thing here for... Uh, you know, uh, some closing statements. You know, 